Hey, this is Eric McCoy with the only podcast that promotes highness, but wants to remind everybody that highness comes from within, not from drugs. I call this recovering through highness. The only way that I'm going to stay high for the rest of my life is by being clean and sober. So I have a special guest today, and I want to say that she was a huge inspiration in the book that I wrote of pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success. Her name is Jody Barber, and Jody created two documentaries. One was called Overtaken. The other one was Overtaken 2. Where are they now? So we met when I was a partner of a rehab in Lake Elsinore. I don't remember how we met exactly. Do you- um, yeah, we, we met at a Starbucks, I remember, with uh, Jeremy, I think it was. Wasn't oh, that's it? right. With Jeremy Jackson? Jeremy Jackson. Okay. <laughs> I think that's when we first met. I think so. Yeah. Oh, I think we talked on the phone yeah. first. Um, I think maybe I saw something on Facebook or something, and that's probably how we ultimately connected. Okay. Yeah. I think I was interested in Overtaken in the, in the documentary. Okay. So sadly, we closed. And the reason that we closed was because I wasn't willing to fall into all the fraudulent stuff that was going on in the industry. So it was difficult for me to get clients. And it was literally the day after I closed that I started writing that book. So Jody, I want to tell you that the selfish nature of addiction, when people are ultimately using, right, harms obviously the families more than it harms the individuals. And uh, and that was one of the reasons, again, that this was kind of an inspiration for me, you know, in, in writing this book. So I want to thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for saying that. That's yeah. very sweet. <laughs> and it's been an honor, you know, sitting with you and watching you present, you know, overtaken at a couple of different rehabs that I had you come to and the school that I was teaching at. And so I want to start out for the listeners. Um, I wanted to see if you could explain the story of your son. And what had happened. Yes. Oh, gosh. So my son, Jared, uh, started with the marijuana smoking and he was getting in trouble. This was a uh, junior year in high school, actually. And he started, though, when he was a freshman in high school. But uh, we caught him in his bedroom with a friend smoking when we came home from dinner and uh, talked to him for two hours. And he cried and, and um, he said he'd never do it again. And But he continued. And then we started drug testing him and we started getting calls from the police, you know, from the sheriff saying, okay, your son is in the friend's backyard and the neighbors called the police and, you know, we had to go and get him. He's driving in the car with friends that are smoking or that had pot and they got pulled over and now we're having to pick him up from a holding cell at 17. Things are going on and um, senior year in high school, the proctor on campus said, let's go check your car and found a joint and I was just like, oh my God, I want him to graduate from high school and I don't know what to do about this issue with marijuana. I, my husband and I really were clueless what to do with this. Friends had their medical cards, so it was really easy to get. Oh, Jared, Jared, him and his marijuana. He loved it. He really did. He said, I don't get high off it. This is my medicine. This, it calms me. It just makes me feel feel good. I mean, he even wanted to work at the, you know, at the clinics. And I said, absolutely not, Jared. No. So the marijuana issue was, I thought, my only problem with Jared. Um, he got a DUI after turning 18, totaled his car. They only found marijuana in the system. He went to jail overnight. Now he has a DUI. And uh, things were even happening after that. So I had no clue that he he was actually getting pills from some friends who were seeing a dirty doctor um, in Roland Heights. And I didn't know that. I had no idea that I thought it was marijuana the whole time when Jared was getting into some trouble like that DUI I saw the video of the whole arrest it took about two hours to arrest them the testing you know and everything they did in that video that the sheriff said they gave that to me and he couldn't walk that line and it didn't look like just marijuana it didn't look it looked like something else but they didn't test him for anything else they didn't test him to see if he maybe had what do you think he might have been taking Xanax I think I know Xanax was very popular back then with the boys with the girls with the kids with the teenagers they were getting it from um, doctors and also Soma's and Narcos. And, you know, those pills were, were popular back then. And so I learned a lot after my son passed away. Um, so it didn't just start with opioids. You know, it, it gradually increased to something stronger. And that was um, that was a nightmare. So Jared's, you know, personality was changing. Um, I found him nodding off in the backyard at 3 in the morning. When I 
saw that, I knew he was on something stronger than marijuana. And uh, it took two hours to get him to bed and talk to him the next day. He didn't want rehab. So we really didn't know what to do with him at that point. But we went to a psychologist and the psychologist referred us to, quote, best doctor in Orange County. <laughs> and, and Was this the one I visited? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, had, my God. Uh, I would say this real quick. So I And I finally did post the video um, that I had done. And I did go meet with this doctor just to see how easy it was to get, you know, potentially the drugs that I was looking for. Uh-huh. And that's why I'm laughing because I appreciate you doing that. Um, it was... Uh, that was crazy that you wanted to uh, to to check him out, and I'm glad you did. And you witnessed what you know what he's like. I wish that we could exploit these doctors. Yeah, I really do. I wish that you know. Unfortunately, the law says that you can't because it's like defamation of character or harming a business, even though potentially this guy is dangerous. You know, I tried to get a bill passed um, a few years back um, in regards to that. I think that every person that walks into an office, a doctor's office should be able to know if that doctor was on a probation. Well, and I did on that video that I, you know, I pulled up. Obviously, you don't see it in the doctor's office, but I was able to pull up on the American Medical Board's website the information on him and the full printout of the probation and the whole oh, okay. story that was behind this doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't know that and a lot of people don't look into it, mm-hmm. which I think is very important. And just yeah. like you said, is to know that has this guy done unethical things? Has he done things that potentially could be dangerous? Because yeah, they're not they're not always looking out for your best interest. No, and if I would have known that he was on a five year probation in the past for reckless prescribing, um, I wouldn't have gone to, had my son go to him. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I didn't know this. So so that doctor just over prescribed you know more pills to Jared to get him off pills, and so um, he promised us at the first visit that all your cravings to marijuana and to opioids and um, opana oxymorphone in particular that Jared was hooked on would go away by taking, you know, anti-anxiety, antidepressants. And so that's what started the whole thing with um, Jared on the antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, and I'm monitoring and, you know, doing what the doctor is telling me to do and giving him one a day and then two a day and then, you know, monitoring them. But the doctor just kept increasing it? So, yeah, basically, clonopin which is a benzodiazepine. It's like Xana, similar to Xanax. Uh, Jared now asked for two a day. He said it wasn't working. He needed to increase it. And the doctor said, no problem. I said, are you sure? Yeah, no problem. So we, I'm giving them one in the morning and one at night. Now he's taking two clonopin as well as the Cymbalta that he was prescribed. And this started in October. So Jared was relapsing on Opana in between. And Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day. He was a mess on both those days. And then two days before he passed away, so this was October, and then Jared passed in January in three months. And two days before he passed away was when the doctor prescribed one more pill, and he said, take Seroquel. And he not only said take one, he said take four Seroquel, three to four each night. What was the milligram? Uh, you know, the, it was a low, low milligram dose, but... Uh, that stuff puts a horse out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Jared was given sample boxes those the two days before, and uh, I was in the waiting room. I went to every visit except that day I was in the waiting room. Doctor should have given me the samples. He gave them to Jared, and I thought he gave them all to me, Jared, but he actually kept one box. And um, so then that was January 6th of 2010. And then January 8th, in the middle of the night, uh, 3 in the morning, my husband woke up and called me downstairs because he couldn't wake him. And Jared was sitting on the couch, barely breathing. And he was in a drug-induced coma. And I, well, anyway, the first respondent ambulance came, worked on him. My husband did CPR. I called 911, the whole thing, and rushed him to the hospital. And Jared passed away at 3.47 a.m. And then we had to go home and tell his uh, 15-year-old brother the news. And um, I immediately called his friend that he was with that night 
two friends he was with on the couch when we said goodnight at 11 o'clock, and they left him at 12.30 because he was, they thought, sleeping. Um, he was snoring, and they tried to wake him, and they couldn't. And I, I understand that. They really thought he was sleeping, but he wasn't. He was in a coma. So I don't hold them to blame. You know, what Jared had did, he relapsed again on Opana, and they crushed it, and they shared it. They cut it up into quarters, and they shared it. So the quarter of Opana, he took the three Seroquel as prescribed, and that was prescribed. That's what really did it. You know, the three to four Seroquel prescribed to him. He had, like I said, relapsed on Christmas Day and Thanksgiving. He didn't have the Seroquel in the system when he relapsed, but um, the Seroquel, taking three of those as prescribed with the clonopin, two clonopin in the system. He had like six pills from that one doctor alone. And then the Opana came from the other doctor that was a very dirty doctor out in Roland Heights. And she overprescribed to um, thousands of people, uh, like 27,000 pills over a three-year period. Um, the line was out the door. Um, she had an overdose in her bathroom. She knew what she was doing, and she didn't care. And uh, her name's Dr. Lisa Singh, and she's in jail for the rest of her life, three years, 30 years to life. Wow. Mm-hmm. How many died through her, do you know? Um, I don't know how many people have died that saw her, but what I do know is that she destroyed probably maybe thousands of lives. I mean, we'll never know, like the Jareds out there who indirectly got the, the pills from her office, you know, because he didn't have cash. And it was all cash related. So his friends had cash and they saw her. But Jared, if he had cash, he would have seen her too. So they given 300 in a bottle. What are, you know, 200, 150 in a bottle? I mean, the pills were out there. And so we don't know how many lives she actually did destroy or kill or murder um, who are still out there, homeless, you know, still trying to get clean today from seeing her. We won't know. How much blame do you put towards the doctor that I saw? How much blame? Yeah. Well, I, I actually, um, you know, Here's the thing. I actually went into the other doctor, Dr. Lisa Singh's office, and I had a poster of kids, 24 faces of kids who passed away. And I asked her first thing. I said, tell me something. Do they look familiar to you? All these kids, you know, half of them on the poster, more than half, saw her. And I said, do any of these kids look familiar? Take a good look. And I said, although it was my son's choice and his friends to abuse, to misuse the pills, you were the professional and you knew better. They were the drug dealers. Yeah. And now the doctor that you saw, (laughs) that doctor prescribing antidepressants, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications without any testing whatsoever, without knowing, without realizing that mixing a benzodiazepine such as clonopin to an an addict, or maybe Jared wasn't an addict. I I don't think he was actually, um, from what I've been told from his friends. But anyway, the fact that Jared was hooked and addicted to an opioid, um, is dangerous. You don't mix benzos with opioids or opioids. You don't mix those two. It's deadly. It's a deadly combination. When I went and saw that doctor, I was curious on how easy it was going to be to get Adderall because ultimately that's what I was trying to get uh, because I knew how to play the game. And so I originally went in there and he gave me, what was the medication that? Cymbalta? No, he gave Pristique. So he started me on Pristique and then he said, take this, gave me a sample, opened up his cabinet just full of drugs from top to bottom samples and gave me, you know, a, I don't know, a few days sample and cut the pill in half. Remember watching the video? <laughs> and, and, and put it in a bindle, you know, and gave it to me. Oh, my God. You know, right? Oh, my God. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all in that video. And puts it up in a bindle, gives, gives it to me, says, okay, call me, you know, in a few days and let me know how that is and then we'll look at maybe putting you on Wellbutrin and then we'll deal with your ADHD because I was playing the signs and symptoms. I can't focus, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the second time that I went back, he gave me three prescriptions for Adderall. He gave me three months worth of prescriptions for Adderall, the maximum dose. Oh, that's nice. Oh gosh. Yeah. And, and, and of course, you know, not doing any testing. I mean, he really didn't. He just asked questions and I just answered them 
knowing exactly what to say. Sure. You know, being obviously in this industry for as many years as I have and being in, in and knowing what Adderall does and knowing what the benefits are, you know, I can't focus, I can't concentrate, I'm, I'm jittery, I'm, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and so it was easy. It was very easy. Crazy. Yeah. So I've, I, I have so many stories, you know, about this doctor from other people now and they all have told me the, you know, pretty much like the horror stories that, I mean, the pills that were prescribed, you know, are the same ones. The Adderall that was prescribed to them and, um, the Pristique and the Cymbalta and the Seroquel. It's like, this is what he loves to prescribe all the time to all these clients. It's, um, it's, it's pretty sad. Today's on another five-year probation. So like he is again? Yeah. What's, what for this time? For, they just said reckless prescribing. So really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just slap him on the hand. How does he not lose his license? I don't get that. I know. You know, I, I was that. on that website on the, um, the American Medical Board's website. I was curious one day and, you know, I'm going through all of these things and, and there were many of them that had been convicted of felonies that still have their license. There are a ton of, I mean, it's crazy how many, how many people on there that have been convicted of crimes even and insanity. I mean, the doctor that I went to, he had the, went into a psychotic state. Right. Pres- Driving himself Seroquel. Yeah, taking, know, getting take, tasered four times. Yeah. Which is what the report says. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. does not lose his license. No. I don't understand. I don't either. I really, I, I don't get that. It doesn't make sense. I mean, what's it going to take? You know, what's it going to take? Kill a bunch of people. Right. So, yeah, you know, so I do partially hold him to blame for my son's death because, for, like I said, benzodiazepines mixed with opioids is a deadly combination. There's a, there was no testing to prove Jared wasn't a depressed kid. He did have the anxiety from the, you know, from the marijuana and everything he was doing. But, um, but you know, how about saying something more holistic, you know, referring him to, yeah, take some yoga classes or get some counseling, you know, but no. Or doing more testing to mm-hmm. see if it's legit. Yeah, do, do some testing. Yeah, he had no testing whatsoever done. And he's not even a psychiatrist. No, but he called himself one, yeah. He's a family doctor is what he is on the American Medical Board's website. So he doesn't even have have the expertise in the addiction field <laughs> and psychiatry because that's what he does yeah is i mean i went in there i remember going in there and it's just a big desk big cabinet full of drugs and a couch and just answering a lot of questions i mean it was almost literally i could go in there and be like yeah can i get some adderall can i get some clonopin can i get some trazodone prescriptions yeah just that easy yeah. and to, to prescribe to all ages, really, 18 and over. I have fathers who were calling him up and saying, please, begging this doctor to not prescribe any more or wean off my these pills, wean him off, you know, because my son's now an addict and addicted and a mess and it's a nightmare. Can you please start weaning him off of these pills? And he says, I can't make that decision. Your son's over, you know, 18 or over. It's, I can't. No. Well, yes, he can. <laughs> He's, he is the doctor and he's a professional. Start helping them. You know, get off of this stuff. I mean, the Adderall, we know how it's abused, you know, in college. that These kids are calling me up and asking me to help them off, off of it. Adderall. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that is a common, it, it helps you focus and it helps you study, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's scary. It's really scary. And then uh, that doctor, Jared, I found out, you know, later that um, Jared told him that he did try Adderall. So he must have taken it from his friend who was on it, you know, taking Adderall. He actually, that that friend was legitimate. I mean, he had Ritalin when he was little and then, it, you know, then the Adderall too. And Jared took it from his friend. But he told that doctor that he had, you know, so he was... Uh, did he prescribe it? Did Jared get Adderall? Or? No. no, no. But he had taken it in the past from a friend. So, but he, he, t- he let that doctor know that. So I'm surprised the doctor didn't say, well, you want some more? <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't say that. Maybe he did. And Jared said no. But I don't know. It's just... 
So I, you know, when I teach clients and I work with people, I talk about this concept of transforming, this transformation. And what that basically means is creating new meanings out of your past or out of painful things or, you know, horrible things and making them something that's a benefit. And and that idea is something that I think about with you. And I asked you that question, how does a mother move on after losing her son? Because I, I had discussed this with... Uh, um, I did the podcast with my wife. I remember, I remember when I was in high school, and there was a kid that died uh, in a car accident while drunk, and it literally destroyed his family. It his. Uh, Parents lost their jobs. They ended up divorcing. They lost their house. And so much of this revolved around the loss of the kid. Mm-hmm. And it destroys families. And sadly, and one of the reasons, again, I, you were a huge inspiration for me was I was thinking about, especially, you know, there's about 72,000 Americans that die a year, close to that, 70, 72, of a drug overdose. And every single one of them, they're having, they have families that have to deal with with this loss. And as I've gotten clean and sober and worked through all the stuff that I had gone, I thought a little bit more about my family and about my parents and the pain and stuff that I had put them through, through all of those years. You know, I was arrested four times before I turned 18. I had my parents having to deal with all that stuff and probably been arrested 10 times in my life. And I know my family was, you know, always in this spot of, he may die. He may not make it. So being clean and sober today and moving away from the selfishness that really does come. But it also relates to that word that you talk about, the documentary, overtaken, that those drugs overtake, mm-hmm. you know, the brains. It yeah. really does. And I mm-hmm. kind of related my book to that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, clean and sober. I'll do anything for you. I'll help you. I'll do. And I put meth in my system just a little, just once. And I'm gone. I'm yeah. literally gone. I will rob from you. I will do, you know. And yeah. Because I need to support my habit. That drug, methamphetamine, literally takes me over. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. And so that's moving away from that selfishness. And I asked you that question again, and I put that quote into my book about how does a mother lose her son and move on? Yeah. I know. Sadly, you know, I know so many moms and dads who, and um, a lot of the parents have divorced. And actually, a couple of the moms committed suicide. Um, and it's devastating. But, you know, we moved on. We have a son, Blake. And Blake brings us joy and happiness. And Blake, it, would it be fair to Blake if I laid in bed all day? If I became depressed and didn't go on with life, would that be fair to Blake, who is here? No. And would my son Jared want that? No. (laughs) Jared wouldn't. Jared wouldn't want that. And I always know that. I mean, that's just a given. Because Jared loved me so much. He told me every day that he loved me. And he wants us happy. And he wants Blake happy, and he wants his dad happy. And knowing, you know, I never really, I don't think I ever took the time to grieve. I mean, to honestly, I mean, I grieve every day. I, Of course I grieve, but I never took the time to. Um, it kind of set you on fire in a sense. To me, it seems like that. <laughs> it changed me. Let's just say it just changed me. The second it happened, I was a changed person because I thought to myself, and I asked my husband how and why. Why did it happen? And that just, yeah, that just like brought out this whole different person in me. How did this happen? How? And I needed to find out why and how. There's a, a documentary on Netflix, and it's called The Pharmacist. Everyone should watch it. It's amazing. True story about a pharmacist. And he lost his son, um, who was on drugs, but he was actually um, doing a, you know, trying to get his drugs, and he was killed. But he was going after the person that did it. But he was also going after the dirty doctor that was over-prescribing. His mission was kind of like my mission, you know? And we just, there's so many parents out there that, you just change on a level that you never thought, the strength that you never thought you'd, you'd have and become this uh, advocate and try to stop it because it was preventable. And that's the first thing my husband and I said. Jared, this happened to Jared and it was so preventable. It was so preventable. And so I had a lot of questions that I needed answered. 
and just I felt um, like I needed to save other kids, you know, and save these families from going through this devastation. And so with that said, that's how I have, you know, moved on is just like my energy level is up there, you know, trying to save lives. And it's important. Yeah, I was, every time I see you, you're always happy. You always seem happy, which I, I think is great. I mean, yeah. I know you grieve, and obviously, you know, there's yeah. probably sad moments, but you always... I, I try to, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was born a happy person, and I, I came from a good family, and um, and I'm blessed to have had the 19 years with Jared, and um, to have a loving husband, and to have, you know, a beautiful son, Blake, here. So, you got to turn your mindset around and that's what I've always done. You got to turn, you know, the negative into a positive and turn your mindset around because I do have my moments. I really do. And I, I don't like to share those moments. I don't like to share to the public that I'm depressed, you know, when I am. So I guess I, I guess I hide that. Um, but I believe me, I do the presentations as you know, and I now have learned to hold my tears back because for like the first five years I wasn't and oh my God, brutal. My skin under my eyes have gotten so damaged that I couldn't even go out in public. You know, until they healed, my skin healed for about a week. <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah, for the majority, I, I am a happy person, you know. I did that chapter too on love, let our voices echo, right? And I, I kind of did that. And that's where I, I think I actually have the quote from you. I think it was in that chapter, let our voices echo. And I've always thought that it would be really fantastic if more families would stand up and would speak and would talk about it, about the loss of their kids, loss of friends, yeah. you know, that there was more, you know, I even put it in the book in the sense that in a funeral, you're at a funeral with somebody, talk about it, bring it up. Uh-huh. This is how the person died yeah. because maybe we can save somebody. Exactly. And but so many I've been to a lot of funerals, you know, for people that died of drug overdoses and things like that, but yeah. nobody talks about it. Nobody says anything. It's just it's all fluff in a sense, you know. Right. And it's the shame is is really where it comes down to. And that's what no that's one of my big passions, you know, is the fact that we need to remove the shame. We need to remove the hatred. We need to remove this stuff because it's never gonna be solved. Every time that problems are solved through rage or anger, you're not going to get with good solutions. Mm-hmm. You know? It's also why I said, and I, I talked about this in another podcast, I said that I don't have any solutions. I have ideas because once we have a solution, it stops there. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about the MAT program because I know you're a big fan of it. And that's where I know in the 12-step program and all the big book thumping <laughs> 12-step crazy people, they have this idea that this is the solution. This is it. This is the end of the road. If you don't get a sponsor, work steps, go to meetings, you're going to get loaded. And I think that's a horrible thing to, to teach. I think it's a horrible thing to say because you're just ending right there. Mm-hmm. That's that black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. You know? And then yeah. we ultimately have Shades of Grey, which is ultimately where that MAT program comes in. And I know you're a fan of it. I had an opportunity at a program, uh, the last program I worked for, that had a MAT program. So I was the director, and I had experience in working with these individuals that were a part of it. And I got to tell you, they were some of the most amazing people to work with. And to me, they also seem more motivated than some of the other people. For me, abstinence is it. I can't do that avenue but that's for me yeah and that's not something that i want i'm going to tell anybody that this is what you have to do maybe there's another route maybe there's another sure. you know remember we were hearing the statistics of 40 percent of people in recovery never went to rehab or a 12-step program mm-hmm. that is always stuck in my brain mm-hmm. which to me also says i wish those people would come out and talk and say something and say hey this is what i did that would be awesome you know yeah. because then we would get more ideas right you know of what potential can work and uh, I agree and so I wanted to ask you on that what do, what are you seeing in that what are you seeing with the map program oh gosh I'm just seeing success successful stories and um, and that's what it's about you know they're staying clean off of the drugs and that is important and it's not a one-size-fits-all for you know whether it's 12 steps or whether it's going through you know the rehab and then you get better that way smart recovery yeah I mean there are there are different routes to take and um, I just 
like Matt because, first of all, they are monitored closely. And it's a whole program. You're just not, you know, in giving them this medication. I mean, there's counseling that goes with it, which is really important. They have to have counseling, and they have to, yeah, and they have to um, go there. You know, what's nice about the sublocade versus uh, the other drugs that are, or the medications, is that it's a once a month. So it's easier for them to get to the clinic and take their medication and then, you know, get their counseling and follow the program and do that. The sublocade is um, FDA approved, and it's. I'm just seeing so much um, progress with it. There was a woman that I met at the clinic recently who was homeless for years, and bless her heart, oh my gosh, she's an amazing lady, and she's doing so well. And um, she just has such a powerful story of being homeless for a long time, and she didn't think that there was light at the end of the tunnel, and she went on the MAP program, and she's like so grateful to Jeanette <laughs> and her team, Jeanette Spivy, um, and she works at Saddleback Hospital and runs the MAC clinic. So as long as I'm seeing progress, I'm going to keep pushing it. And there's a bill that's up right now that we need to get signatures. It's SB 854. And what is it? Going to make it so there's barriers. You know, you can't get on the MAP program immediately. And there's those barriers that are stopping you from, um, you know, the insurance that they have to uh, approve and all these things that you have to go through, the channels. And when they ask for help, you know how that goes. They can change their mind immediately. And so every second really counts. Every minute counts with them when they want help. They should get it. They should receive it right then and there and get them on it and get them started instead of having to wait, you know, wait um, for approval. So I'm all for MAT, um, medication-assisted treatment, and I am not for having somebody go on Suboxone and just say, here you go, take Suboxone, and good luck. <laughs> that- they need more. They definitely need more than that. They need more than that. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree. I know the state of California and also the federal government, I know, is, is moving in that direction to utilize the MAT program and put more funding towards that, which I... I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And now how do you, have you seen sober livings that are using it and I have not. Cuz I know there's some, there's those sober livings out there that don't approve of it. And then there's those that are using it. Yeah, the majority of sober livings are not okay with it. They're not okay. And why is that? Most of them are all 12 step based. And you got to remember and so the, and this is to me one of the worst things that people do and I've seen this over and over and over in treatment where even when even when you're just talking about psychiatric meds antidepressants right where we've had clients that came in and they would see a doctor and they would get prescribed antidepressant medications non-narcotic and they would leave they would go home they would get a sponsor and the sponsor would say you're not clean and sober if you're on these medications so you need to stop and they would stop and then they would relapse and they would end up back in rehab and i have heard that story so many times and that's something that needs to end at the 12-step programs if they really want to help people they need to stop this idea that if you're on any kind of medication you're not clean and sober i know because here's the thing this is a brain disease so when you have a disease you take medication Right? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't understand. And if it's helping. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a medication for their brain disease that they have and until they get better. And they're not on it forever. You know, they're, they're not on it that long. I mean, they're on it until they can pick their life back up. Their brain heals and they can get a job. So there's nothing wrong with that. I want to read something. So when I was working with the people at the MAT program, the biggest struggle they had was in the 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. They were all going to these meetings, and about half of them had a sponsor. And the sponsors would tell them, don't tell anybody, don't share this. And then when you get off the Suboxone, that will be your clean date. So they reinforce that idea. So I was the director of the program, but I would I would purposefully go and have groups with these clients because I really enjoyed it. And one of the things that we talked about was the idea of let's create our own. 
right? Let's create our own self-help program. It never kind of finalized, but I wanted to read something that we put together. I wrote this, but I got a lot of assistance with them. And it's called Healing. This was the title of the self-help program that we were going to create. Helping everyone as love is not gone. That's healing. Helping everyone as loving love is not gone. Healing was created for all people that have battled with the stigma that being clean and sober requires complete abstinence from all medications for legitimate physical and or psychiatric disorders that include harm reduction techniques. As I've been working with those on Suboxone or Subutex, a frustration has developed with people who get shunned or rejected while attending other self-help programs. We stand on helping everyone find a place in recovery that finds our goals and methods effective to reach that place of hope. Nothing in our ideas based on biases, prejudices, or discrimination and welcomes all people who are suffering from chemical dependency. We welcome and encourage a union that will stand together and provide hope as we show the world that responsible recovery requires that we take care of ourselves. Taking care of self must include our entire self, which is why we stand tall through the adversity and often damnation that we may receive. The program that we have outlined are designed to empower, lift, and inspire creativity that will drive you to achieve your vision that you pursue. Much of the assistance that is offered through other self-help organizations are based on a directive that requires, even though it is defined as a suggestion, for you to listen to another person's life experience and do what this person wants you to do. We are not against other other self-help programs, nor do we disagree with the structure, support, and tools that they use because it has helped millions of people. The goal of our organization is to eliminate substance use disorder as defined by the DSM-5 and become happy, successful, and productive members of society. Some will argue that individuals on a maintenance program such as Suboxone are not clean and must remove the substance to have a successful recovery program. We disagree since our goal is to become free of a substance abuse problem. Advancement in pharmaceutical medications have opened the doors to assist you and help you alleviate the cravings, which is the true suffering of the individual. Just as depression is treated with antidepressant medications, our suffering is helped through a technique that will eliminate the harm that can potentially be involved. Time after time, I have witnessed individuals that have disappeared from their support groups because they were told that their medication must be stopped to be clean in recovery. It is unfortunate that they followed the direction of their sponsor, who is not a doctor, and their depression or anxiety pushed them into a relapse so they could self-medicate themselves. People are dying in record numbers, and maybe it's because we aren't looking at things as they are. Stop fighting and arguing about something that has worked and will continue to work for many people. It's time that we focus on saving lives and not pushing people away because they think differently, act differently, and do things that are outside your scope of understanding and maybe even your expertise. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, I worked on that with those clients because they were they were frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they uh, they wanted they really wanted to be a part of the twelve step program. They were going to meetings, mm-hmm. but then you get a sponsor. You know, they, and this is where the kind of the hypocrisy, in a sense, behind it. Because what do they talk about in recovery? That it's that they want complete honesty, right? Rigorous honesty is what it's talked about. But then, if you're asking for rigorous honesty, but don't tell anybody, it's oh, sort of right. a hypocritical concept. It is. There, you know, <laughs> yeah. so we are now just asking you to lie. Don't really tell us what's going on, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and then you can be a part of the program, mm-hmm. you know, because again, if you even look at the 12 step program or the, you know, they all say the only requirement is a desire to stop. You don't even have to be clean if you have a desire because that's the only requirement for membership. And that's what the 12 step program states. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that are on the mat program that don't want to stay on it forever. You yeah. know? And a lot of them, a lot of them have gotten on it. It's helped them get through they did it for a while and they did get off it and and i do hear that from a lot of people that maybe at some point in time i can get off it i am not a fan of methadone personally mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. methadone is very difficult to get off of mm-hmm. uh, but subutex does have its withdrawal and does have it but it's a lot easier than the methadone withdrawal yeah and then um uh, i've been talking to a doctor who's uh, given out the sublocade that seems to be really working. They usually um, inject into the stomach, one, and I'm pretty sure it's once a month instead of every day. You don't have to go in every day. It's once a month. There's a commercial, actually, too, now on, about it. 
<laughs> but uh, but it is that's what they've been using and it's really working. I am yeah, Suboxone. I've gosh, I've had stories, you know, with the moms and the kids and yeah. Suboxone being on Suboxone for a long time, and it seems like that's what they do. They're on it for a l- too long, a long period of time, and they're you know they're putting holes through doors and walls and acting crazy while on it. So I don't think that's the best yeah. route to take. But the Sublicade seems to be really working. Good. So and Vivitrol. Vivitrol, yes. The Vivitrol, it, yeah, that's a good one. So those two. Sublicate Vivitrol. Yeah, I've seen some good results from Vivitrol. Mm-hmm. I had a client who could not stay clean and sober. He was in and out of rehab, in and out of rehab. In and, out. and it was actually at my place in like Elsinore where um, we had the guy that came into the program. And he got on that and he actually completed the program. He didn't actually want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of had to boot him out at some point. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, but from my understanding, he's still doing great. Oh, that's good. You know, and and the thing about it is, um, I know a lot of the people are on both. They're on heroin and meth. And the meth, you know, or they start using meth, you know, if they're on on these medications. Um, and the the meth, the medications don't work for the meth. But their brains are changing now because they're. They're, they're on the Vivitrol or the Sublicate, and they're getting the counseling, and they're going through this program to stay off heroin, right? And now they're feeling better about themselves, and their self-esteem is getting better. And, you know, they don't want to go the meth route. They don't want to do that because they're trying to get clean. They're trying. So there's a lot of positive that is coming out of this, and they're not, they're not using other drugs. So Yeah, that's fantastic. It, it is. Anything to, to stop those cravings because, you know, for one and thing. And that is the suffering. And, yeah, and, and the issue here is they're not able to stay in treatment long enough because all, the 99% of people that call me for help don't have insurance. And, and if even they, if they do, insurance isn't paying very long. And even if they do, yeah. So these places are only keeping them maybe thirty days, maybe sixty, if that, if maybe that even sometimes. I mean, the insurance companies, and I, you know, we could probably definitely say it's some of the rehabs fault for this because of all the stuff that went on. Um, but the insurance companies don't want to pay anymore. No, and they even don't. the money that they are paying is hard to even keep a place open. You know, when I was even out there, they were uh, we were in some of the people we were getting like three hundred three hundred dollars a day. I I mean, it, and we're only a six-bed place. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be able to staff a place and mm-hmm. you know, may, you know, keep keep it open mm-hmm. with that kind of money. Yeah. So you know, a lot of these young adults aren't in treatment that long, long enough for their brains to heal. So that's a huge problem. That's why we have that vicious circle of relapse because their brains aren't healed yet. You know, they're they're going to use eventually after they leave because the aftercare is the biggest downfall yeah because there's no No there's no real structure there's nothing they you know some of them go into a sober living you know home for a period of time and then right they're out the door and there's still no that's what we really have to look at Mm -hmm. is to figure out how can we follow people more when they leave treatment Mm -hmm. to give them more assistance to ultimately reach the place to where we're not needed anymore Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the goal behind it you know is to is to make us eventually make us not needed and unimportant mm-hmm. because they can now do it themselves. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But that that is absolutely the the downfall of the industry. There's yeah. no aftercare. There is no aftercare and there's no funding and there's just um you know there's a lot of help. There's not a lot of help for this, you know, when you think about it. I mean our government, even the celebrities with all the money that have gone through all these drugs and are in recovery themselves, you know, Elton John and, and there's so many I mean, we can talk about that have the money that can put it out there and try to help these kids. And, you know, I don't see it. I don't see it. And it's just really sad to me. I mean, they got right on this. 
um, coronavirus right away. And you know, <laughs> they, they we with the amount of people that have died, we've lost probably ten times that amount of people mm-hmm. from drug overdoses during this period of time. Yes, we have. Yes, so. I, I've I've actually been trying to get a hold of our governor and sending messages and messages and messages trying to because I really want to look at our educational systems. I want to redefine the prevention type stuff and figuring out ways and figuring out things that we can do to make it more effective mm-hmm. because so much of the stuff is not effective. Right. You know, just say no. <laughs> <laughs> And we want to reach them before they start. That's so important because, you know, reach them before they start. Because once they do start, and then it could be a very long yep. the, road. You know, I say in my book, too, that, and this is really where I'm trying to help remove the hatred and the shame, you know, is the fact that what drug users are seeking is nothing different than what you and I are seeking. And what is that? To feel good. We just want to feel good, right? We want to have some kind of maybe meaning in our life, some kind of purpose in our life. And I don't think there's enough assistance, especially when you're talking about kids, because kids don't know anything. They think they know everything, but they, <laughs> but they don't really understand, you know, um, the and need the assistance to figure out, you know, how they can ultimately find that. And I just don't think there's any direction in no. that avenue. And there doesn't seem to be much of a care <laughs> by most people. You know, mm-hmm. most politicians. No, unless it's in their family. <laughs> it's it's really scary on the streets, you know, with all the fake Xanax that's being sold with fentanyl laced in everything. It's laced oh, in it's cocaine. Horrible. It's laced in the meth. I know. It's really, really scary. So I, I just, um, I, we just don't want them to lose hope as long as my motto, as long as you're walking, talking and breathing, there's hope so for those that are out there that want you know that are struggling on the streets and they think that they're hopeless and they think that they can't get help that's not true there's always help for them it may be difficult you know to try to find a place but don't give up on yourself you know fight it work work on it and fi- until you find a place and you will find a place that will help you you'll find somebody that will help you but don't give up on yourself you know i mean that's the thing it's like they just kind of say, oh, well, you know, and they think nobody cares. And that's not true either. Their family do care about them, but they have to want it. They have to want it. Absolutely. So. And I, and, you know, I'll say this on here, too. It's like, you know, if, if anybody's out there and listening and needing help, you can always send me a message. I can look into it and see if there's any kind of assistance that I can find. Mm-hmm. My email address is recoveryecosystem at gmail.com. Um, and so I can definitely see what I can do to help. That's awesome. And same with me, um, my website, overtakenlives.org. And um, speaking of Overtaken, the documentary that Christine and I produced um, is in schools across the nation. Um, there's a, It's part of the health curriculum and health classes, um, a great lesson plan that goes with it. And it's in rehabs and DUI classes. And it's on YouTube. So if anybody wants to educate themselves, the parents out there, they need to you know, also be educated and be aware of, of what these drugs do and know that this can happen to any family. You know, um, one of the reasons why it was produced is because of the stigma that is out there still today. But the stigma, you know, they have to realize that this can happen to anybody at any time. And my son Jared broke his collarbone dirt biking. He was almost 17, and the doctor gave him Vicodin. The nurse gave him Vicodin. Called me up and said, I have your son here in the hospital. He broke his collarbone. He's in pain, and I'm going to give him Vicodin. I said, okay, thank you. Not knowing what Vicodin really was. Not knowing that Vicodin is heroin in a pill and how addictive it is. And Jared took to it, and he didn't stop. And that was the pill that led to Oxycontin, and then it led to Oxymorphone. So Vicodin was um, very addictive. Yeah, usually when people start drugs, they start innocently. I don't don't know anybody that started drugs saying, I want to just go out and screw up my life today. (laughs) But it usually is. It's very innocent. It's small. It's it's usually interested and say, hey, I want to just try this. And um, and sadly, unfortunately, does destroy many lives. Mm-hmm. And um, and my motto, and I always say too, is no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. We can definitely relate that to hope. Yes. 
Well, Eric, again, you've got to tell the world what your book is called because everybody should read this book. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's such an inspiration. Um, and if Eric can be healthy and be happy today, so can you after what he's gone through. So what's the name of your book? It's called Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. And I know it's a long name. <laughs> That's okay. Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. Yeah, I um, I definitely have been through a lot, you know, with, with drugs and addiction. And um, But you, yeah, I you mean. Know, anybody out there struggling with drugs, we're all the same. There's really nothing different. You know, some of us maybe have gone a little crazier than others, but, but we're all the same. And um, you, you really if, felt if like. I can do it. Yeah. You can do it. There was a light at the end of the tunnel for you. Yes. <laughs> and it took a fight. And that's kind of really where that motto for me came from, you know, is no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. Mm-hmm. And while on drugs, you're not going to see that. And that's the scary part. And that's the hard part. That is the hard part. You don't see that. That it, That is so true. I, you know, in my book, when I, with all those arrests that I had, and after the third arrest in four months or whatever, and I talk about it in my book, where I did go and I tried to, I, you know, I had contacted one of my old counselors and I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble. I mean, you know, who gets arrested, bails out, gets arrested, bails out, gets arrested. Most people are like, okay, I get arrested. And it's like, all right, maybe I should do something. But that stuff just consumed me, you know? And I remember going to that counselor and, uh, and telling him, you know, the situation that happened. And his response was, you're fucked. <laughs> and, I, and I was thinking like, I already knew that. Is there anything else you can give me, you know? And so he wrote down some detox places that I could go to. And I literally walked out the door, crumpled it up and threw it away. Oh. And, um, and that's the hard part is, mm-hmm. is how do you get beyond that part? And, and it did for me, it took getting locked up and being held down. And mm-hmm. I made that decision. That was kind of the funny thing was after the fourth arrest in that six month period, I, I made that decision that I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to do it. I even told the task force, you know, that was arresting me. I said, all right, I'm done, you know? And I was in my mind, I'm thinking like, that's it. And so I went to jail and slept for off and on for four or five days. But once I got up, that suffering, that craving consumed and that I'm done switched over to, no, 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 I'm not done yet. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Gotta get, I mean, the cravings were so powerful and that's the scary part because when I said I was done, I believed it. Uh I meant it, but that suffering kicked in and I called my dad just to see if he'd give me a thousand bucks so I could post bail again. And my dad goes, you know, no, he's like, I'm glad you're there. At least I know you're safe. I did not like that response at that time, but today I can definitely say that that was the best thing in the world for me. Uh Everybody I knew was either dead in prison or in rehab. I was the lone person, you know, Uh in a a motel room. I just couldn't figure out a way to stop. And you almost think like, I can't. That's the, that's the scary part, you know, is Uh that your mind tells you that I can't, but the reality is, is we can, I mean, it's, it's really kind of a stupid idea when you think about it. Like I can't issue can, I mean, I've been off drugs before, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you can, but that's what your mind's telling you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. I'm going to die if I don't have it between a rock and a hard place. If I keep going, I know I'm going to die because I I mean, I weighed 130 pounds and I'm 6'3". And I knew that if I kept going the way I was going, I was going to die. It was just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. But I also truly believed that if I didn't have it, I was going to die. That's what I believe. That's what so many of them believe. That's what they do believe. They And they do want to get clean, but they have that I can't in their head. Yeah, if anybody if anybody is listening to this and that's in that spot, please send me an email. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to, to anybody that's going through that. Oh, thank you. I, I know some <laughs> that are going through it. And I'd love to have them come out here, you know? Yeah. And uh, um, even if they're high and they're interested. Yeah. That'd be amazing, actually. Thank you. That would be really fantastic. I'd I'm love to do right now. You know, who I'm going to call after I leave here. I'd love to do a podcast with them. Mm-hmm. They're willing to talk about it because that's the, to me that's what's so important is that we need we need to start discussing this stuff. We need to talk about this stuff. Yeah. We need to remove the shame. There's no hatred. There's no shame. I'm the most non-judgmental person in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and I don't have any shame in my game. That's why I, I really don't. Because I'll I'll tell you something funny. So I've been trying. 
trying so hard to get uh, get in touch with the governor, right? Good luck. Good luck. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have sent so many messages, right? And then I was I was one time I was going, I'm going to apply for a job. So I just I pulled up a, a application, mm-hmm. I filled it all out and everything, and then it comes to Have you ever been arrested? And I laid out everything, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> of course, I never got a call. But and I and I literally was like, I just I, I just thought it would I don't know. It was, um, yeah, I've got I'm a six time convicted felon. I, <laughs> Did you write that? Yes. <laughs> Did you get the job? No. I, I didn't even get an interview. You didn't even get a phone call back. No. But, uh, no, but it was just kind of to me. I'm just thinking, like, you know, I'm sending all these messages, and I, I mean, why can't I get uh, send me an email? I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. You know, something. Give me something. I mean, because again, I, I don't have any solutions, but I got a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the things that I'm, I'm really trying to get out there. Yeah, people need ideas. We need ideas. Uh, all the ideas, the better. <laughs> we need a lot of ideas from you. I'm sure you have a lot, Eric. I know you do. <laughs> I do have a lot of ideas. Oh my out gosh. Of all I'm... the years, you know, and that's, for yeah. me, it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an expert. I don't know. I don't know if you call, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think thing, you but, are. You're an <laughs> I mean, expert. I, you know, I did drugs for a lot of years. And then at the same time, I got clean, had 11 years, and then I relapsed, which was another huge lesson for me. It was it was an amazing lesson for me, though, because I transformed that into something that has become extremely powerful for me. Through all of those experiences and working with all the clients that I've worked with all over all the years, I learned from them. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher and I'm a student. And if I always stay a student, then I'm always going to learn something. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I know that's where my knowledge comes is from hearing all these stories that I've been told, too. So I want to thank you for coming. Thank you for and, having uh, me. This has actually really been fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I've been wanting to do this, but with this coronavirus, <laughs> we've been, well, actually, I've been sick. And um, for a second, I thought maybe I had it. <laughs> I didn't. And just for everybody to know out there, we are six we feet are away. Six feet away. So while I was coughing the last two weeks, I was like, Eric, no, I'm not going to come do this. Um, but <laughs> I did talk to a doctor at one point, and he's like, you don't have it. I'm okay. That's good. Uh, so I'm much better. I'm all, yeah, I'm all better. But yeah, we are keeping our distance. Yes. <laughs> That's important. But I really appreciate you having me on today and what you're doing. And you are an inspiration. And, and I love this podcast. And um, I, uh, I, I can't small. wait to listen. I'm still trying to get followers. and Okay. So help, maybe you can help me uh, yeah. get, get some followers. Absolutely. I'll do that for sure. So I I support you completely. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, thank yeah, you've, you. You've like I said, you've been an inspiration to me. Oh, you've always been this. Uh, like I said, it, it really is amazing that transforming concept. You know, for you to go through what you had to go through and to be able to stand up tall and do yeah, what you have done. I, you know, Eric, it's been ten years. August, um, excuse me, January eighth was ten years, and I can't believe it. It's like sometimes it feels like yesterday, and then other times it feels like longer, much longer than ten years. And you know, I get my signs from above. I get signs from. Jer- and from God. I see your stuff on bees. Bees. Well, what is that? What is that? Uh, yeah, don't ever kill a bee. Uh, the bees are, are powerful and bring a smile to my face. Um, bees started the day it happened to Jared when he passed away. And uh, his brother held a vigil on the corner. And there were posters there that his friends were signing. And on one of the posters was a bee. It was there all day. And Blake thought that was really unusual. And, you know, it didn't fly away. It was there all day. Next morning, Blake and I walked over over to pick up the posters and the bee was still there and it was alive and then it flew away so from that day on the day that Jared passed away that bee was there and bees were landing in our you know in our house numerous times and on us and in our cars and all over we're seeing all these bees so somebody asked me why bees and I'm actually a florist <laughs> so that's probably why the bees um, are there but anyway I have many more thousands actually I could write a book about about all the signals from above 
and they are very, very powerful. And so for those non-believers out there, you must believe and, and know that God is here watching you, with you, and I have gotten those signs at the most unbelievable moments. Unbelievable. So I am proof <laughs> that... Um, that my son's happy and that now see there I go <laughs> I am proof that Jared's watching what I'm doing and wants me to do what I'm doing and Jared and God together <laughs> um, it's really powerful that's all I have to say So in our backyard we have a patio and we had one day a huge bee nest that was forming oh. in, our, in our cabinet oh wow I mean it was huge you like open the door and it was just a ball of bees. Oh my gosh. So we did call a bee person, but they, they weren't ones that killed them. Oh. So they <laughs> sucked them in. <laughs> Good. Then they take them to a, I don't oh know, a place gosh. that stores bees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, soon after it happened, there was, uh, there was like this uh, huge problem right across, we don't have homes where I live, across the street. It's just a hillside. And there were like millions of bees there. And so the bee guy came, you know, in his whole full uniform, the bee man. And I, I look at his shirt and his tag on his, the name of his shirt. And uh, his son has struggled with addiction and knew my son from high school. And that was a crazy sign right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, wow. Again, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And, uh, I definitely want to, to do something, you know, have these people contact me. And I just want to have your normal people who we were talking about earlier, not the movie stars and the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the people that really, really... Uh, Plenty of people that will inspire, and I know so many of them. So um, they're going to be uh, contacting you for Absolutely. sure. Thank you can you. have them call me. You have my number. So okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. And this is another episode of Recovering Through Highness.